Hi, welcome to the Sweaty Palms podcast. Sweaty Palms is a Belgium-based music platform that urges their community to discover and share new music and ideas from which relationships can be built. In our podcast, we'd like to dive into the minds of people we think have a huge influence on their scenes and surroundings, ranging from artists and promoters, passionate diggers, road creatives, and your average Joes. I'm your host, Eunice, an Android-based music producer, graphic designer, and apparently a podcast host. Today, we are joined by Kuhn Kuala, better known as Kong, a DJ, journalist, and record label owner based in Brussels. We talk about his book and mixtape series called Missing the Club, Fatherhood, how a mysterious playlist led to him setting up a label, the importance of cataloging and archiving, the conversation between digital and print media, and a whole lot more. Hi, welcome to this month's episode of uh, the Sweaty Palms podcast. Uh, today I am joined by Kong, or Kuhn Hi, Hi, Nice. Hi. How are you doing? Good, and you? Very good. The weather is super nice out, and I'm, yeah. I'm happy that the sun is shining. It's amazing. I'm going to take my, uh, my shirt off. Yeah. And there's a not sweaty funny. bus, uh, which is fitting for the concept. I think we might need to evolve the concept to like a sweat chamber now, where we sweat <laughs> and, and need to get our clothes off. Yeah. But not today. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not yet. All right. Um, let's delve into it. I'm curious to get to know you better. Uh, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Who who are you? What do you do? That's a... Uh, a good question um, um i wanted to start with my name is you know like when i was 17 uh, 12 years old and saying what who, who i can um, mimic you know like donald duck you know these oh the, you remember these children's shows yeah yeah to, like hey my name is kuhn and i can mimic donald duck can like, you mimic donald duck no though? not at all no i'm sorry is there something that you can mimic because now I want i'm to learning to mimic actually because i just had a, a son that's probably the best thing i can tell you uh, about myself now i just became a father congratulations thank you just like uh, seven weeks ago tomorrow yeah. which is the biggest change in my life ever so probably that's the best answer to your question who, who are you i'm a father now but i'm also a dj um a journalist um a vinyl collector uh yeah, <laughs> that's probably it. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, some other stuff. I like to do sports and stuff, but that's probably not interesting for this podcast. We can talk about whatever you like, and <laughs> I will find a way to make it revolve around music. Great. That's my, my yeah. position in this <laughs> conversation. Uh, wow, okay, fatherhood uh, must be very exciting, especially in these times where yeah. I, I guess you have a lot more time on your hands than you would in a regular uh, period. Absolutely. Um, there's there's already the advantage of working from home, which I would have done also when I when it wasn't COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, working from home means means being home a lot and being very close to now my wife and and my child, which is you know such a precious thing, especially this first months because after a couple of months we'll have to send them to the the crash the. How do you call it in English? The Kindergarten in in German. Uh, uh, I don't know how to say it. Anyway, I I think everyone understands. The The place where they (laughs) take care of kids. The daycare, daycare. The daycare. And um, so um, from that moment on, you know, until until forever, it will only be weekends and holidays. And when he has the flu or whatever, that I will will have him the whole day. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, we have him the whole day, 24 hours a day. It's he's he's with us. And to see him these first months, it's it's an incredible feeling, you know, 
a child is such a precious thing and when you have made it yourself it becomes like a very interesting uh, yeah super exciting feeling emotion everything you know it's yeah it's yeah cool. as someone who doesn't have has kids i can only imagine uh but what i hear from friends and then other people i meet um when they become fathers or mothers uh they, they feel like a, a sort of calm in in whatever they do like aside from parenting even in in their work or their passion they, they find like new energy that is calming in a way yeah the calmness to me comes from um this idea that before you know life is kind of egocentric mm -hmm. you mostly think about yourself obviously also your girlfriend or your family or but somehow you know the only thing you think about in a day is how will i make it to the end of the day what will i do today while now you know the first thing you think in the morning is how is my son doing you know like you look up and is he sleeping well uh is he looking good uh, so all is of a sudden your yeah. your point of view has changed and this perspective is calming that that is for sure calming uh, and that i enjoy yeah oh very interesting what's, what's your son's name sorry just... tamo sorry tamo tamo okay. yeah beautiful name thank you thank you all right um tamo if you hear this in like 20 years <laughs> your dad loves you a lot well, i think it will be uh, yeah. that's actually why i wrote the book to be able to to um make him read my articles that i wrote for many online publications and that might disappear so I, I should like also download the podcast you, you you guys your podcast and yeah engrave it in some kind of thing that will never disappear or be destroyed i think it's very cool how people uh, try and leave a legacy for their family in a way uh, i think that's that's especially true for creators um like you make something and you want your offspring or or distant family to know and have like a tangible thing yeah and, and yeah i think that's very cool uh, it's it's an interesting contrast while because you know journalists before the internet were always writing for something that was printed so everything would you know paper is one of the most lasting um media you know forever they have done tests and like mp3 or vinyl or cd or what lasts the longest and mm -hmm. paper is still the longest in the history of mankind paper will always be the longest uh, the longest archive you know the archive that will keep that will last the longest um so my point was that what it, what is interesting that journalists before they only made um uh, they, they wrote articles to, to be printed mm -hmm. and while my generation I have made most of my articles for non-print for internet um, but then I came to meet a, a label in Belgium in Brussels which is called SSR records I came to I came to like get to know the music on discogs and I started to buy all these records and I was interested in the label and I found out it was a, a cramped disc sub label but um, it was almost impossible to find anything about SSR Records itself. While it had existed, you could find it on Discogs, it had existed from 89 until 2001. But impossible to find any kind of article online. On Google you had three search results, like Discogs, some kind of second-hand seller, uh, and a third uh, result. But mm. nothing more. Three results only on Google. I was astonished. Like, where is all the information about SSR Records gone? So I contacted them, and what uh, apparently it, this label is only has only existed has only happened before the internet, so everything disappeared. Uh, but they have a, an incredible paper archive in their uh, offices, cool. which was which is vast, you know, like an extensive uh, archive full of 
uh, articles from NME, from uh, you know, like all these influential uh, magazines from back in the days, um, with articles about SSR records. So I went there and I, I interviewed the guys and. I, I did a, a feature um, for the Vinyl Factory, mm -hmm. uh, for the website, the British website. And now actually there's a fourth result on Google about SSR records, finally, <laughs> with the whole story. You know, you can finally, I was actually pretty proud to have added this story and this label to the to the inter internet. Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting uh, way of approaching media as well, because... Um, the internet makes everything so easily accessible, but also very disposable. Uh, yeah. Whereas you can lose track of what happens. Uh, a, a thing that happened to me last week, I think, is um, I took one of my records to, to a record shop and they were uh, asking for information. And then they Googled me, found my old project and found like an interview I did in 2014 that I forgot about that it existed, but it was somewhere in like the 10 page of Google. And I was like, what? Uh, and this is always funny seeing that come back, but then also like finding uh, paper interviews I did way before that and then like not being on the internet and then having and that duality. Um, I think it's very interesting how, yeah, the internet is a, is a good place to catalog everything, but it's also, if it's not on there, then it feels like it doesn't exist. Anyway. Yeah, well, in the end, you know, everything still exists, even yeah. if it's only on paper. The matter it's indeed a matter of like who do we believe most or what are the media that we use most and that we put most our confidence in and while we put intuitively our con our confidence more in internet now in the end it's still paper that is the longest lasting archive so yeah i fully agree and i'm, I'm happy to see that more uh people in, in my generation and so far are, are reaching back to analog media yeah. as well uh i think i thought it was very cool that um not so difficult magazine started up in Leuven, yeah. and and they were doing uh, things like that, which I Great thought was job. really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I'm happy to see paper come back in a way. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, when it's done in a good way, you know, when it's not just paper for to to, to print on paper, no. but like like not so difficult. It's a good example. It's beautifully designed. The photograph, yeah. the, the the level of photography is is insane. You know, Jente Weiseger is doing such a good job. Uh, I've read this article uh, written by Victor Leroux, who visited the studio of David Morley, which is an incredible article. Yeah. Super good job there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like it, it feels very high quality, like an ID magazine or something. Yeah. Like, those are the kind of magazines that um, are on par with books in a way because they feel they're expensive to buy. Yeah. Because then you, you pay for quality and then you know, okay, this is good and I want to keep this. I'm not going to... Exactly. Throw it out like the the uh, folder you get for for the local supermarket or something yeah. like that, uh, which some magazines also do, which is also fine because that's part of that era of of being print. Mm -hmm. But now it's it's more about the luxury of things, the the scarcity and uh, quality, which I I think is a very good approach, especially with like uh, thinking about ecological things and stuff like yeah. that. And, you know, in the end, it's all about archiving our culture, yeah. our community, our, what we have been doing. And somehow, you know, for since the start of the Internet, beginning of the 2000s until today, we might have lost also a bit the the idea, the art of archiving. You know, with putting everything on the Internet is, is fine, but I've written so many articles that have disappeared, you know, because the the hosts, my my my... The, the, the people who ask me to write these, in, these articles, they have, for some reason, which I understand, they have lost interest in this specific article. So that maybe they'd started a new project or the website has gone, 
has gone away, just like has been deleted. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, stuff about our community has disappeared. So where is all this information going between the early 2000s and today? It's, it's interesting to somehow also archive again. Yeah. And what I also find interesting about archiving and the way, uh, I guess, young people do it now is um, something that I noticed about eight years ago when I was very active on SoundCloud in, in different kinds of like subgenres that were coming up. And you had artists who like uploaded a lot of music and then the next day would delete it. But somebody would have grabbed it and would have like uploaded it on a different account so yeah. you could still like access an archive somewhere. And people were building their own archives of people's music, which the original artist was like, I don't care about this song, but other people did. And that, I thought that was like a very cool way of archiving and people just like, oh, uh, do you, did you find this track or should we put it in this playlist or what do you think this album should be like? Because uh, he never really released it, but like we have these pieces and, and piecing yeah. it together. That's also a very, very nice way of archiving and keeping something that maybe the artist at that point does not feel is important, but in five years might be like, oh, yeah, I'm glad cool. it's still online somewhere. Yeah, and, and, and for that matter, the internet can also be a very interesting archive and many people are doing super cool jobs in archiving also online. But the question is how, what, what, where will this music be in 50 years, you know? Nowadays we look back at music from the 70s and we find it all on vinyl because these original vinyl records still exist. And, mm-hmm. you know, even in some cases, old vinyl records still exist, but the master tapes have been destroyed for some reason. And the reissue is being done by ripping the music from the original violin. So somehow, you know, you can keep it alive. But if something has been has been existing only digitally on the Internet and imagine 100 years in 100 years, everybody will have lost it because their hard disks have disappeared, have crashed. Then it might be all gone. Mm. These, these playlists from these artists that, that maybe they didn't care about. So then it will be really hard to retrace all these these files. So th- that's an interesting question for our generation, I think. Like, how can we make sure that, that y- your music, as Eunice, you, you have now made a, mm-hmm. a record, right? A vinyl record. Yeah. But do you, do you think about what, how your music will exist in 50 years? Definitely. Um, I feel that what I do... Or, so what I did in my past project was all digital and... I've lost so much of my own music that is still floating around on the internet that I had to like download from SoulSeek just to get the, the, the wave file back. And I don't have the project files anymore because I, my computer died or I switched from uh, DAW and stuff like that. Uh, and that really made me think about how do I preserve what I do? So for the album I put out, I was like, I want vinyl. I don't care what it costs. I don't care if it sells. I want to have a physical copy of what I made because yeah. this is a testament of what I feel exactly. is my... Is my yeah it's my child in a way this is this is a very personal story um i want to have it and be able to hold it and like getting the record for the first time was such an amazing feeling because it was the first time i could actually hold the music that i made in the sleeve that i designed in 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 the the entire package um which is that if i end up having children or or something uh i want them to be able to hold it as you said like being oh this is what dad did yeah, yeah, 50 for, years for ago. generations. Exactly. Yeah. But also not just for me, but for uh, people that may uh, be inspired by my music 20 years from now and, and yeah. be able to have a copy of that that is not just digital, be able to like lay it on. Um, but I think, and it, it's also something that I started thinking about due to Corona is how to get away from the exclusively digital story. 
because we're sitting inside and 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 connecting through uh, our computers and our phones so much how do you get people to still have that connection to the physical world uh which is also the reason why i made like a magazine part of the album that i did not spread online just like the the physical copy it was yeah. like there's a physical i have like a, a digital version but i'm not putting it out anywhere else buy it if you want to read it yeah and there's a link there that like three uh, gets you back to my website for like content that's not accessible if you don't have that link yeah. so there's there's this um story between the two mediums which i found very important and i want to explore that more and i think that's the way to go with with uh, media and and music and and visual art i guess is to have that conversation between digital and physical definitely yeah it's a good point yeah, yeah. and it's fun you can you can enjoy yourself with these two worlds to mix them up yeah i think it's i, I think it also brings different people together like i i have a pretty young fan base i guess and but there's also uh older people that were interested in buying my record and then they connected like they weren't on social media so they found out through someone else about buying the yeah. record and like buying this and then they go to my website and get all the information from there but they're not on instagram seeing all the other content i'm putting out there and i think that's a very like interesting way of seeing who reacts to what and and who am i making stuff for yeah and how are people uh consuming I guess, which I think is a dirty word, but how are they uh, perceiving what I'm making? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you yeah. have to think about it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Very, very interesting. Uh, <laughs> let's go back uh, to the book yeah. that you mentioned. Um, so you, you recently published a book. Yeah. Uh, could you tell us more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, it's called Missing the Club, a COVID-19 project. Um I, it actually started in 2020, right in the middle of the first, yeah, pandemic. <laughs> I mean, the first wave of the pandemic. Mm. Um, the first pandemic sounds so yeah, harsh. Yeah, it sounds very harsh, <laughs> sorry. No, it was actually not in the summer that it, that it started this project. So I, I was making uh, mixtapes, Missing the Club mixtapes, mm -hmm. um, that I just... Um, recorded in my living room uh, but I kind of like tried to um, make it feel like I was going to the club you know like prepare my record bag the way I did do usually do while when I have a DJ set um, and somehow trying to get the vibe in you know in, in my head at least like this is a club night and I'm playing as if it's a club night also the recording is a one take recording you know like whatever happens it's gonna be what it's gonna be uh, and while recording the third one, uh, I kind of got to the idea like, okay, I, I've been writing also for a couple of years already. Why not start writing about the records from the mix? Um, and so I started to, to research on these tracks. Some of them are Belgian. And so I got, I got into a few funny stories about the people behind it. Uh, some of them are international. So I just, it's not that I did it like an encyclopedia it's not an encyclopedic approach but it's more like you know fun stories things that i found while researching them you know mm. it could have been they were they were discogs comments um next to uh, a facebook picture that i found the profile picture of an artist whatever he who was posing with obama you know like stuff like that just describing what i found and while doing so trying to like like we said in the beginning archiving or talking about my community my the music i like the but also you know like i've been writing a lot about record collectors so 
at a certain point I got to the, the idea like okay why not take a few of my favorite articles from the past that I want to save from you know the the, the 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 digital graveyard who knows when they will disappear or some of them yeah. had already disappeared so I still want them for future generations so why not also put them in the book so that somehow the the, the, the book started to get bigger and longer um, in the beginning it was just going to be a magazine you know like 50 pages whatever but then it started to get longer and then I started to get some ideas to write new texts for example I was pretty uh, uh, I was pretty into these um, uh, DJ live streams that mm -hmm. were happening uh, all the time in 2020 and at the beginning of the pandemic and DJs were clubs were closed and everybody was turning to the DJ live stream and so I wrote some somehow uh, an essay about the, the DJ live stream because somehow the DJ in a live stream always looks lonely to me yeah. you know, like sitting alone in his room or in his house or wherever maybe sometimes on on, on, on top of the atomium or on top of the the royal castle there was a dj streaming live but always lonely you know like n no people around even the sometimes like one camera guy but you know usually a dj is playing for uh, a crowd you know that's the, that's the idea of a, of a dj playing for a crowd so i was like very uh interested in this concept from a conceptual point of view like mm. trying to describe in a in one essay uh why DJs were doing it now and what the history is of the DJ live stream when it all started you know talking about boiler room or about about the mixtape about the 70s or the 80s when people were making cassettes for for friends and then mm. when the CD came uh, describing the whole history of the mixtape and the the DJ live stream until today and then uh, I started to make screenshots from um, various DJ live streams then I've put them in various categories and so there's like a photographic uh, part of the essay as well and so this is an example of a text that I wrote especially for the book and so I started to write some more texts and all of a sudden you know it was like a, a book a 200, yeah. 250 pages book um, it's, in it's interesting how um, because I, I really um, f feel what you just said about the, the lonely DJ uh, <laughs> story uh, when I was doing uh, my album release I specifically managed to not do a live stream for the entire year i did not want to play since and sing and do whatever from my room or my studio it did not sit right with me um but then in in november when my album came out i had no choice i had to do something yeah. uh, so i managed to get a location get some friends together and, and and film a few episodes of what a live stream would have been uh but i specifically when talking to the casper uh, who did my uh director part with me like we were i think about the concept and i specifically tried to play in on the concept of of distance and loneliness in the yeah. video in how it was played because i felt that that i didn't want to do it so i was like if we're gonna do it then at least like put it as much as possible like try to get a camera as far away from me as possible try and, and like have yeah. the distance between me and uh, another band member and and stuff like that um so I'm, i think that's a very interesting approach of of dissecting why uh musicians or djs or um whoever is doing that like playing for no crowd because you can't there's there's no, no other option yeah. but but why grab to it because what we do is so social what we do is so 
is about connectivity, is about a, a culture, is about um, meeting and celebrating. Yeah, exactly. And, and doing it on your own feels very weird. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually it. Uh, I've also done uh, one live stream. In, uh, it was in June last year for uh, C12 in the club. It was on the Rinse FM, which was it was fun you know to be in the club again and to be in the dj booth and to play records but then at the same time there was this sadness you know like i'm alone here and i I, somehow it feels i feel this sadness i see this while looking at myself or other people doing this these dj live streams there's some some kind of sadness in in there to me Mm. um but yeah anyway so happy that we can still do this live streams and connect with our audience so it's it's always a double a double emotion happy and sad at the same time maybe yeah true but i think that that's what is interesting is about how people especially now that we've been in this situation for a year um a lot of different kinds of live stream have has happened have happened will keep happening until we can hopefully go to the club again or to a concert hall or or whatever Uh, but it's interesting to see how people are taking that concept of doing a stream and trying to break out of what is possible uh somehow kind of involving people in a way that is not really possible but is and, and stuff like that um like I, I went to a vr concert in october which was really cool because you saw all these people like flying around in vr yeah, and, yeah. And, and stuff like that so it's the technology in that way is um interesting how people are trying to develop new stuff yeah. that does not come close to what it was but there are many possibilities and that, that's, that's also the end of my, my the final message of my essay like what else can can happen and I'm, I'm sure this the live stream is here to stay I mean it existed already before COVID mm-hmm. but I'm sure due to the pandemic it will definitely be something that more people will keep on doing you know it's less traveling it's easy to get to connect with your audience and for many people whether it's it's like entertainment and music together or whether it's, whether it's underground music it can be really cool and then it depends you know from your aesthetic values how 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 you will use it you know some 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 guys want to climb on the atomium and do it you know 120 meters in the sky other mm. people will just look for a dirty basement and put a projector behind them so it, it can be interesting uh, some people will sit in their kitchen and do it like that while yeah. someone's cooking. I think I saw something like that early on. There's this Brussels one. It's called Boudin Room, which is like a, a persiflage of a boiler yeah. room. And they, they cook boudins, which are <laughs> and sausages behind, uh, behind or next to the DJ Boudin Room. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, part of, of the book. I think that's, yeah. Very, I, th- I think a lot of people, our listeners and beyond that, can empathize with that. Even if you're not a musician, um, doing video calls with coworkers or friends and family <laughs> is also like a very weird connection that, yeah, you want to keep in contact with certain people that you can't see. So you yeah. you reach through a digital medium to do so. Um, so you said the book started as wanting to be a magazine and then grew and grew and grew. Yeah. Um, when was enough enough for you when were you like okay, yeah. this is the point where it was a fun because it didn't start from the idea i want to make a book and this is the concept you know it started from the idea i want to have fun and and share this mixtape and then share these texts and uh, and then i i remember like changing my concept all the time you know my my graphic designer kind of got got crazy <laughs> because he was always he always needed to 
to change the whole thing. Um, what was your question again? Sorry. Uh, when did you feel that, that it was done? Yeah. When were you like, okay, enough is enough? Yeah, at a certain point, I was like, okay, it's 20, 250 pages now. And I, I, I started, I got the prize quote from the printing uh, shop and i was like yeah okay now it's enough let's not <laughs> yeah add another 50 <laughs> yeah exactly okay cool um when we were talking earlier before we started recording uh you said something about uh, that you you and your wife girlfriend started a publishing company for the book yeah or? yeah true um we actually started it already in june of last year when so i also work for sedus uh, mm -hmm. c12 the club uh, in brussels and um we, in the start of the pandemic, it was clear that we needed to do a crowdfunding to save the club. Pretty simple. Without the crowdfunding, the club would have gone bankrupt. You know, the, it's, a, it's a young project. It was a starting project. It only exists that before the COVID, before COVID, it only exists for about two years. Mm -hmm. um, so they still have, you know, like a lot of investments and debts. And um, so we quite fastly set up a crowdfunding and... Um, for the crowdfunding, um, we did a, a photography book of the in-house photographer of uh, the club, uh, Jeremy Gerard, who does like very cool analog uh, photography, which is always very hazy. And to me, it's you know, remember? Do you remember these somehow bad um, photography, clubbing photography styles where people come with a flash in your eyes? Mm. You know, like very very in your eye, in, in your face photography, you know, everybody hates this, mm -hmm. but this guy, he does the best. It's always blurry, but it always shows the emotion of the clubber, you know, and you never recognize clubbers or people. It's always very vague and the hazy. way a club night should be. Exactly. And so he somehow really beautifully is able to capture um, a clubbing night and especially a C12 clubbing night, you know. So we did a, uh, it needed to be printed and this from the f already before COVID my girlfriend and I said this to to Jeremy like we need to print some someday we need to print this because we love your work and then with the, the pandemic we, we did it and so we we my girlfriend and I we produced uh, the, the the book which is still for sale on the on the also on my website web shop and on the c12 web shop um, and we, we sold it also as part of the crowdfunding and uh, that's when we started to be like, okay, yeah, this was fun. Let's do more books. That's when I got the idea of doing my own book. Uh, mm -hmm. I was in contact with the printing shop already. So, um, and that's when we got to the name uh, for the publishing house. Uh, it's called After Club, and we got the website and stuff. So, you know, it's only two books. It's it doesn't look. It's not big. You know, it's just my girlfriend and I, and it's we're the having start fun. Of something beautiful. Exactly. Uh, let's hope so. But there's a website, so we can call there's it a website and two books. I mean, yeah, that's, a, that's good. That's a start. Everything, every little seed that gets planted needs to start somewhere. And, I think and so grow. too. Yeah. So yeah, having two books out in a year is already a yeah a nice thing. Yeah, I think my best my best um, the, the thing I'm most proud of is buying the afterclub.be uh, because it was somehow some guy bought it and I had to like start to I had to uh, get into a a, a bidding process <laughs> to get it you know it's some some shady company from austria whatever <laughs> after club.be was fucking protected by or, or bought by this maybe some, a, a, some internet squatter. entrepreneur domain yeah. squatter or yeah, whatever but it, it worked out, it worked out pretty well oh damn <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm glad you've you've got the domain and, yeah. and everything set up now and then we can hopefully expect more books in the future yeah definitely 
Um, cool. Uh, super nice to talk about media. I mean, these podcasts are usually artists talking about artistry uh, and, and stuff like that. And we never really talk about media, which is a very important thing uh, to get your music out there or, or get yeah. Uh, yeah, get to know more people and, and vice versa. And I'm happy to hear and see uh, this last year that more people are starting up new media companies in Belgium, be it for books, be it for magazines. Because uh, I've always felt that there is a very big space to fill here in Belgium. There's There are obviously a lot, there's a lot of media that is more traditional or, or has been established for a long time, but there hasn't been... We don't have that big of a media culture that drives forward and then has like these. Yeah, yeah. The the problem with Belgium is is that it's so small. So yeah. especially when like like not so difficult, they they ride in in, in Dutch, the Flemish market. You know, it's five million people mm. out of which how many people are interested in underground electronic music? Not so many. So I think it's very courageous what they do. And, Definitely. Um, it's for for me the first reason to write in English is 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 this 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 fact. You know that to be able to reach at least the, the whole of Belgium, you know, eleven million people, you need to write in English because otherwise, it's such a small market. And that's the reason why I think many, you know, since um, the rise of the internet, before I think we had a few great magazines and things going on, but then I think only Gonzo Gonzo Circus uh, survived. And they have been going for already quite a while mm. with a with a solid, uh, a very strong uh, concept. Um, but apart from that, many disappeared, and it definitely has to do with you know with uh, the, the the fact that it's, it was pretty hard with the internet to keep your subscriptions high. Yeah, it's also the cost of, of doing a magazine is yeah. also especially if you go for print. Uh, I I remember um, when I was in university, I. Uh, Free, don't want to say freelance i um was a volunteer for the word magazine back yeah. when that still existed which i thought was a super cool magazine yeah, yeah. i don't remember example. how i found out about it um i think they contacted me for something and then i was like oh uh, come and help out and i was the only person in Antwerp distributing the magazines <laughs> and and a lot of people here did not know about it i was like this is a super cool magazine like get to know it and uh, it was such a shame when it then disappeared yeah but also i felt like oh you can blame them because it's just it's too super hard to keep hard. it up yeah yeah, yeah. Pub the publishing market has also probably been uh, yeah it's, it's, it's become really hard to I've, i I've, i know the guys from the word magazine pretty well and yeah it's it's super hard to run a magazine yeah um and now yeah i think it's a good thing that, that not so difficult started on a on a bi-monthly or a on a tri-monthly basis i don't know exactly yeah uh, and i think bi-monthly yeah. so they have some subsidies as well so that's a good thing yeah so i mean i do hope it sparks more in that realm it doesn't need to be print per se but i do hope more people will get to writing or or, or yeah. video even uh but, but in different ways than yeah. what is already happening but i think you know the small country belgium it has always been small and will always stay small but mm. somehow when I, I i've noticed this in brussels but it probably is the same here in antwerp or in ghent that, that we've started to take things in our own hands again you know like uh Crevette records has started a record shop in brussels um seat 12 is a club built by by a group of friends you know mm -hmm. that started to do it do it themselves uh, there's a booking agency cult agency for example in brussels that that johan started on his own you know like 
so many people said like fuck it i'm doing it myself you know yeah. for a long time we have been a bit you know like under the shadow of of, of holland for example where everybody is doing they're real entrepreneurs you know mm-hmm. and we all love them and they're, they're, they're so good in entrepreneuring and setting up things and doing it you know and taking risks and maybe this hasn't always been part of our dna as as belgians but i feel that the last 10 years maybe the last five years for sure this has changed and many people are doing things you know and setting up you you guys setting up podcasts and throwing parties and you know there's a very uh interesting thing i heard on the news a few weeks ago uh when the riots were happening in in uh, holland for the uh the night clock that they have and people were asking like oh why aren't there is there like no pushback in belgium for it people just accepted it here and they were like no whatever there's been some backlash on social media but nobody started built uh putting police cars on fires and yeah. stuff like that what was happening in holland and then um this lady i forgot her name she uh she specializes in um what i guess like flemish culture and and dutch culture and how it's different and she said and i I felt very offended, but then maybe she's also right, I guess. She was like, yeah, but um, the Flemish have always been a very oppressed uh, group of people. It's always been part of uh, Holland or France Hmm. or this and that. And that is why And she believes that's the reason why we're very careful with a lot that we do, because it's the way we as a people are. Um, and I thought that was very offensive. I was like, I don't take, I'm, I'm very risk taking. But then if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, it does make sense. Yeah. I can imagine somehow. Yeah. yeah. Personally. Yeah. I, I know like as a Flemish guy living in Brussels already, you know, language wise, it's not the easiest position. We have to fight for your right, you know, to speak Dutch in Brussels. Uh, so yeah, maybe this is also connecting to what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought it was interesting. Uh, because I never thought about it that way. But yeah, 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 it's interesting. But we're doing good, and I think we'll yeah. definitely like. I feel good things happening in in Brussels, in yeah, Belgium yeah. in general. To be honest, yeah. I, th- that's one of the nicest things that I I felt uh, part of the pandemic is seeing how many people are starting new projects and and starting yeah. new things. Maybe not long term, but like myself included. When I started, um, I did like this platform in the beginning of the lockdown, which was called Lockdown Type Beat where I just felt people uh, want to challenge people to like just make music every day and send yeah. something in. And it we did it for like four months. It was me and my housemate. And we just made like radio shows around it, like did sample challenges, blah, blah, connected with so many people. And after four months, when the first wave uh, died down, the platform kind of died. We did like another remix competition in the summer and that was it. And it was yeah. like, cool. These six months have been so fruitful. I've met so many people and it inspired a lot of people to do different things and like collaborate and, and stuff like that. I was like, the point of what I did, it's done and that's fine. But then seeing so many other people uh, doing different things, uh, like e- even you like putting out a book, uh, starting a new label, which I want to get into uh, soon as well. I think that's a, that's a very, um, it feels very hopeful that once all of this is over, not only will we be able to go back to the club, but there will be so much more new things to combine in what we used to have. Yeah. And I think that's the way forward as well. All of the knowledge that we've built up in the last year um, with digital content and, and, and physical things and 
being removed from the club, being removed from concert halls, and then taking it back to that, I think that will be a very interesting period. Like For sure. right after this, definitely, I can personally relate to that as well. You know, like have, having losing your job somehow. You know, like all of my work is related to to clubs and to to the scene that was forced to close. Mm. Uh, you get you get some time. You know, you get you get some spare time all of a sudden, and that challenged me to rethink my what i was what i was doing yeah even rethink my record collection even rethink the way i write what i want to do for the next couple of years make a baby <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that not unimportant <laughs> voilà. shout out to the baby shout out to tamo yeah um, and nina my wife Girlfriend. also very unimportant uh, very very important not unimportant very important <laughs> because without her there would be no baby exactly um let's talk about your new label um it's called souvenirs from imaginary cities yes how did that um happen why yeah. did you start a new label there's uh, again there's nina in the in the in the story we were on holidays in um, morocco mm-hmm. in january 2020 and I, i had this playlist sent by a by a friend uh christoph walkens um who was at the time releasing a record on Vlack, Vlack Records, Brussels-based label where I do the communication for. And so I was talking with him. I had uh, r- I was writing his re- the release text um, together with him. And he told me like, yeah, um, I, he first told me I used to make music in the 90s. And then he said to me like, yeah, it was released on uh, Electron, which was a US import sub-label. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, wait. Uh, Yeah, it was called uh, Brown Hardware Inc. And uh, the other project was called The Black Dog, uh, The Black um, Sun. The Black Dog is another project. The Black Sun. I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Uh, that's amazing, man. I, I love these records. Uh, I had just actually a couple of months, uh, like a half a year earlier, bought one of these records at Wally's Group World. And uh, so I was, I was, you know, like, he had drawn my attention. Like, uh, And yeah, so my other friend with whom I did the music in 1992, has uh, moved to uh, Mumbai in India and uh, are you interested in uh, that I send you one of his playlists because he's still making music there but he has a hard time finding labels you know but he's a super talented musician and so just before we left to Morocco um, uh, he sent me the playlist and I've been listening to it on constant repeat on holidays in Morocco and when I got home I sent him an email like fuck we have to get this released let's do it and The playlist was titled Souvenirs from Imaginary Cities. And um, that's when I decided to release it. And, and at that point, actually, I, 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 my girlfriend was living in Antwerp at the time. And so I was often in Antwerp and I connected with um, Jan and Flores Machils. You might know the Hillman uh, mm-hmm. brothers. Uh, and I was actually connecting with them uh, a lot at the time. And I, I, I got to know them. Uh, of years before but I was talking a lot with them and so I was like yeah I wanna I think they will like this music as well so I invited myself at their place we put on the good the big sound system at their studio here in Antwerp and listened to it then I, I remember their faces were immediately like whoa this is good yeah we have to release this yeah yeah let's do it and then I uh, suggested them to start a label the three of us and the, the rest is history
yeah i listened to the release and um i, I read the, the excerpt on bandcamp that was, was part of it um, i thought it was really cool to name a label after the release yeah. because i mean it makes sense in the story that you just told because it kickstarted the idea for yeah, it um, but also like the the name was so fitting for the music because it just felt so ethereal and the textures were super nice and spacious and and the fact that i couldn't really place it anywhere it made it like it, it it made so much sense to me that's completely also what struck me the most like where to place this and then you know this guy is, is living in mumbai made music in belgium in 1992 you know like real clubhouse music a bit trancy um then he moves to mumbai he keeps on making music but you know in mumbai you know far away from the rest of the world and when i spoke to him for the first time he immediately said like yeah i'm not following musical hypes you know i just listen to music but mostly i'm a, i'm a, i am in my studio making music you know in my own head not really influenced by something and so i was like yeah <laughs> of course incredible you know like in a vacuum almost yeah that's that's amazing and i was yeah flabbergasted to find to to meet him and i haven't met him you know in real life uh, because he's in Mumbai and he hasn't been traveling, obviously, due to COVID as well. But we have done a few Skypes in the meantime, you know, also a few Skype interviews uh, together for, like, for example, for Radio One. And this was this was fun, fun to do. And mm. he's such a cool guy, you know, like a 40 year old uh, with a, a wife and, and daughter living in uh, the suburbs of Mumbai, you know. Yeah. It's, it's amazing what can go on somewhere completely different in the world that you may not know about until yeah it happens to land in your lap i'm a sucker for these kind of stories as well yeah. know, music to me is always connected to stories that's why i write you know that's why i like to speak to people and inter interview them about what they do or what 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 got them into making music you know another story that's in the book is about um uh Kritz nero have you ever heard of the this uh hardcore a bit of a gabber anthem that was released on a dimitri vegas and like mike no. uh, compilation a couple of years ago which is called uh, give me a white line give me a white line <laughs> sure you have danced on it oh, when you were 15 years old and it's kind of a, a very like hardcore anthem and so i discovered this guy who made the, the the record but i discovered him through some other records and one of them made it into the mixtape on the and so it's in the book mm -hmm. so i got to i called him and i i, I I'm, I'm telling his story in the book but it's a it's a very interesting story about a guy who and he was very open about it we took too much drugs you know Back in the days, he was a bit of a star. You know, his record was was a, was a charts record. He was making some money. He was DJing and and playing everywhere. You know, he, he was a he was a thing in the nineties. You know, and um, he kind of like got, got lost in the success and did too, too much coke and too much ecstasy. And he speaks very open about it. Like, but today he says, "I'm in a psych psychiatric uh, hospital." Uh, I've been here for so many years and now I've been clean for so many years, but still I need to be here because, you know, I, my head is, is 
I suffered from my my addiction to to all these things and so these kind of stories to me connect very much to the music and then yeah you know the the the, the record I use in the mixtape and that is in the book is a record that is kind of emotional you feel the emotion in it and I play it a lot slower because his music at the time was always like <laughs> 140 bpm so I play it like 125 I completely pitch it down it's very emotional and then he tells me like at the end of our phone call like yeah and this record I actually made it the day after my girlfriend like she broke up with me and then to me you know the whole world it's it, yeah. it all connects you know that's when I'm that's to me that's why I, I, I did this book to be able to give an, an extra value to all the music that you hear you know to connect yeah. with the stories behind it Yeah, that, that gives me goosebumps. It's uh, I also find the music that I connect to the most. Like I, I write music from a very personal place as well. I, that's the only way I can write music that I'm happy about, even if the music isn't always happy. But like that's when I feel that it makes sense and it, it, yeah. it's something that I want to share. And also the people that I meet, musicians or or whoever, um, when I hear music. You can always tell what the music was made for, if it's made from like a commercial standpoint or if it's made from like something deeply personal. And then when you meet the person who made it and you have a conversation with them, it just, it always makes sense in a way. It might not be the story that you had in your head, but it makes sense. And I think that's a a beautiful thing about this medium of art is how something, like especially if the music doesn't have like lyrics or or words, And it's very abstract, but you can feel what is being told. Yeah. And you put your own spin on it, and then you meet the person, and you're yeah. like, oh, this is uh, what it means. The, the, the track is called, so his name is Kritz Nero, mm-hmm. which is an anagram. His, his real name is Dirk Oren, so Kritz Nero. And this, it, the track is called Zero Snero. <laughs> somehow, like, he, he felt like a zero because he girlf- his girlfriend dumped him. And he, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I needed to know the story behind it. I, you, you, somehow you feel in, in this track that it's emotional. You know? I yeah. wanted to know what was behind it. So. Yeah, it reminds me of um, last, well, not last year, two years ago, I was in London um, for a week and I met up with a lot of producers and artists uh, that I knew through the internet mostly and I was like this is the moment I'm free I'll go to London for a week and then have a talk with them and there was this one guy uh, Deft he's from Croydon and he's been around in like bassy music for the past 15 years or something and he'd never done like a really big project and he was like I'm gonna do an album now and blah blah and he sent me the album uh, like a month before it came out but he forgot to add like the, the the press release to it. So I listened to the album and I was, I remember being quiet for the entire hour, like taking it all in and like the textures and there were all these like weird voice memo montages in it. And I was like, I, I don't understand what it's saying, but it feels very fragile and broken. And then uh, a few weeks later, I got the, the official uh, uh, pre-release with like the, the press release in it. And I was reading the press release and it the record was written during the, the period that his sister had cancer yeah. and that she was passing away. And then the voice messages in there were the last messages that he had from his sister that she rec- uh, that they were like recording or something. 
not for the record but just like in general and i was like damn it it really like it spoke to me a lot i remember crying like listening to a few songs and then when i read it i was like oh my god it makes so much yeah. sense um and uh, yeah that was such a beautiful moment and when 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 you feel or get the story behind what you hear it just adds so much more depth to it and and, and yeah, a yeah. different layer yeah yeah can make a uh, music uh, enhanced somehow yeah yeah so um, yeah, I love I'm a sucker for stories as well, and so thank you for sharing uh, <laughs> pleasure the, the label story. Uh, where where do you feel that you want to take the label from here? So now that your first release is out. Well, actually, I'm going to to see the guys uh, after this podcast oh, uh, yeah. recording, and we'll discuss further. But we're working very hard on the second release now, uh, which the order to the for the pressing plant has just been placed. Cool and discussing uh, a few other things for the for the future so yeah i think two to three releases per year and let's see where it gets but we're somehow in the process you know like starting a label for finding your first release and like putting it all together and then you start to think like okay what's next and you have some some ideas in your head you know and you're talking with a few people but you want to get the identity the dna of your rec of your label right so that's when it gets interesting and that's the the exciting period that we're in in now you know it's not yet uh, uh like a, it's not yet a factory it's now it's yeah. slowly you know like discovering our own dna and I, I like this period a lot so yeah i think that's cool because the first release is such a building block uh, yeah. as to what or like you build something and it's like the the fun uh, the fundamentals of the house yeah. then wherever the house goes from there is up in the air yeah um but after like three or four releases you'll see like oh this is what we kind of have like yeah. how do we get this red kitchen inside of this completely white house yeah. and stuff like yeah. that uh, I, and i think that's a very like i can only talk about that from like a solo artist point of view but it's very similar to like how a label operates but then there's way more different building blocks that you can Set yeah in. yeah it's interesting you can go as far as you want and then you know like how, how do we do uh, like graphic design which is floris who is doing all this uh, he also obviously has a as a like a, a whole trajectory to to go through to to create the, the images of the label so mm. you need to take your time and it needs to breathe uh, the whole thing so you need oxygen to get there so yeah it's an interesting uh, yeah. and i think it also very much fits with the name of the label yeah uh, to have like that oxygen that space uh to to create and see where it goes yeah i'm very excited to hear oh sorry to hear <laughs> what uh else is in store over these coming coming soon years coming soon. <laughs> coming soon after the podcast <laughs> um yeah thank you very much for sharing all these stories i've i've been uh having a blast talking to you it's my uh, pleasure getting to know you I mean, we've already talked in the past but never this in depth yeah which is my favorite part of being able to host this podcast so a quick shout out to sweetie palms <laughs> thanks Matthias, for uh forcing me to talk to all these interesting guests <laughs> thanks it's, for inviting no worries um there's all there's always one question that is the only question that i actually aside from who are you there's only under one other question that I always ask and that I always have to ask um, being if you had to describe your musical taste or your DJ sets and you're very good with words, so I'm going to get a really good answer, I think. Uh, if you had to describe it as a 
course of food or a dish, wow. what would you say? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, oh, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure if I will try to get an answer if together. It can be as broad as you want. It yeah. can be as narrow as you want. And yeah. uh, First of all, food, food needs to be spilled. Oh, <laughs> uh, spilled. I mean, like, like it can it can get can get a bit sloppy at the table. You know, like you wanna don't don't be angry if I make uh, stains on your <laughs> on your uh, on your table. Uh, that's probably my first answer to your question because I like mixing with vinyl, and I like you know I like to to to, to take risks somehow. Maybe it sounds a bit yeah. posh to say, but. You know, I'm, I, I enjoy most, for example, I'm a super big fan of Theo Parrish as a DJ. I will never get this level the way he DJs. It's, it's impossible to to reach this level. You know, it's, he's, he's a natural born talent. He's like the Messi of the DJs, I think. Um, but what he does with records is so influential, inspiring to me, is because he doesn't give a fuck that if something goes wrong. And that to me, that I want to keep in by nature i'm a bit i'm a bit of a nervous person always a bit scared what people will think of me mm -hmm. and i always keep him in my head like the way he does it because you know he doesn't give a fuck and somehow you know when being scared is on my left shoulder talking to me like yeah you have to be scared then your parish is on my right shoulder like tapping my shoulder like take it easy it will go okay <laughs> and then i like to 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 follow his advice and just mixing records you know i've been mixing records from when i was 16 years old and i like to take risks sometimes you know like mixing two records and see what happens and uh i try to make the blend of the records as good as possible mm. and sometimes you know when a record goes a bit rough in the middle of a night when 300 people are in front of you and you know whatever or doesn't matter yeah i love it you know when yeah. or when you need to you know, I think it's especially the music I play. That's why why I'm why I'm saying this. You know, when you play a, a minimal Donato Dozzi minimal techno set, you know, you want to you want it to sound perfect. You know, it has to be a soundtrack as if everything has been designed in a super nice studio. You know, the guy is doing it. It's, it sounds so fluent and so neat, but that's not my style. You know, that's not the music I play. I I, I like the, the 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 rave classics from the nineties. I like the the, the 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 Belgian house, the Dutch house, the UK house, the American house, uh, Detroit, you know, whatever, and Chicago, New York. I like it all. To put it all together and then, like, make it make it bounce. Yeah. Sounds like this will be a very fun dinner party. <laughs> I think what we should do, Matthias, after we have like ten episodes, which is not that far, let's get a dinner party with all the guests and have them prepare the dish or like the sure. way, because I think we get we we're getting somewhere. <laughs> After this, point. it would be soul food. Also, in my case, I yeah. think you know something that goes well, com comfortable food. And usually, I like to eat very like like a lot of vegetables and you know like not heavy on the stomach. But yeah. for this dinner, I probably might go for something that is a bit more heavy on the. Yeah, on I mean, the I'm just thinking like combining you and David would be great for for dinner. <laughs> oh yeah, I would love to. Yeah, also for David. music, but for dinner as well. Maybe like. I'm looking. I'm thinking of a falafel with a lot of sauce. You know, like some kind of uh, garlic sauce that is dripping out you know like. that's when you get messy yeah ah, amazing cool thank you for that answer that's a, that's a very good Pleasure. one you said you weren't going to give a good answer but <laughs>
could that could also go in a book. Maybe we should make a book. Can I pitch you a book about dinner and Sweaty music? Palms? Yeah, let's, dirty palms. Let's like let's keep palms. talking after this. <laughs> very excited, uh, Kong. Thank you very much. My pleasure, guys. Um, is there anything else you would like to add? No, I was. Just, I'm surprised it's already over. But yeah, it's already been an hour. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it went by really. It's really a lot fast. of fun uh, to talk to. Yeah. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Glad. Right, guys. Um, this was my conversation with Kong. Follow us on all the channels, Instagram, Facebook, uh, check out the books, check out the record and the label. Um, we'll plug everything in the comments and in the descriptions and see you guys soon. Thank you very much. <laughs>